0: Good morning. All right, now, how many of you by show of hands have ever heard a bad sermon?
1: Nobody? Y'all, this is, this is impressive.
0: I mean, we, uh, we, yeah, Al's got both hands up over here. Oh, no. All right, so I've got the honor and the privilege of, of bringing the word to you all here this morning um, before Mark comes back next Sunday. So. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do my best to give just a bad sermon so that next week, whenever he's in the pulpit, everybody's just great and and happy to see him and uh, everybody is singing his highest praises um, and hopefully we'll appreciate him being back. Uh, All joking aside, I I want to say this um, about Mark. We as a church are beyond blessed to have Mark as our our pastor. Um, He truly does a phenomenal job at leading us as we seek after God and and strive to walk in His ways. I was talking with Mark yesterday, and I, I asked him about all the things that he's been doing over the past six weeks. And instead of telling me about all the trips he's gone on, instead of telling me about all the places that he's visited, he told me this. He said, Austin, this is what God's been doing in my heart. And he told me about what God had taught him over the course of these past six weeks, as he personally sought after God. So I don't know about you guys. I'm thankful to have a pastor that leads us by example. Uh, a pastor that that lives out the calling that we have as Christians long before he gets up here um, to preach it. Um, and I, I know in the weeks to come he's going to be sharing with you all about the visions um, and insights that God has showed him while he's been on his sabbatical um, here in the weeks to come. So my message to you all this morning is take heart. Take heart. Recently, maybe more so than ever before, person after person after person has has come up to me and made me aware of the difficulties and the hardships that they're currently facing in their life. Um, While they put on a smile, while you maybe never even know that anything was going on, deep down, they're hurting. Deep down, um, these circumstances are getting the best of them, and they genuinely don't know how to deal with it, much less try to discern God's plan and purposes in and through it. And I believe that if, if you would look uh, around this room today, many of you would admit, you know what, I'm, I'm right there, I'm, I'm in that hurt. But if, if, you're, if you're not in a difficult time this morning, hear this. Although your life may be going smoothly right now and you can't think of any hardships, Listen up, because Jesus said in John 16, 13, not that in the world you might have tribulation. He said, no, in the world you will have tribulation. While things may be going great in your life right now, I'll tell you this, troubles will come. Troubles will come. And in reality, you are one phone call away from difficulty and hurt and pain. The events that happened in my life over the course of this past week are only proof of this. Early Wednesday morning... Uh, my wife got a phone call from her dad, and it was early enough to where, you know, if you get a phone call at this hour of the day, something is up. Um, so she answered the phone, um, and she immediately just starts sobbing uncontrollably. Um, we found out that her grandmother had unexpectedly aspirated in her sleep and, and had passed away. So we loaded up the kids, we got in the car, we pieced out to Charlotte uh, just in time to, to meet the family at the funeral home. Um, where we got to, to pray for each other and and just uh, celebrate Mama's life and that she is now with Christ. But I say all that to say, difficulties are sure to come. Troubles are sure to come. The only question is, when they do, will you be ready? Will you be ready? If you have your Bible with you this morning, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 45 through 52. Mark 6, 45. 45 through 52. If you don't have your Bible, the text is going to be up on the screen. We're going to be looking this morning at the story where Jesus walked out on the water. I know that this is a story that many of us are familiar with, but I hope and pray that as we look at this story, that that we would learn how to deal with and respond to our hardships as followers of Christ, and that in those times, we would simultaneously see God's glorious He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would open up our eyes to see you this morning. God, that you would make your word come to life, that your spirit would speak to us through this inspired text. God, I ask that um, for those of us that are are struggling or in the face of difficulty and hardships, God, that you would comfort us this morning, that you would allow us to see your plan and your purpose in and through these times, and that, that God, you you would be here in this place today. It's in your son's name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. All right, so before we jump into our text, I want to give everybody a little bit of background on what happened prior to this. So Jesus had, had just performed his most popular miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, for, for those of y'all that um, aren't aware, this number did not include women and children. So Jesus likely fed somewhere between, between fifteen and 20,000 people with, get this, a boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish. And, and Mark tells us something even more spectacular that happened. He said that the crowd that, that had gathered to see Jesus, they ate until they were full. I, I love to eat. I know that my, my body figure doesn't, doesn't show that well, but I love to eat till I'm full. And like, sometimes if I'm in like a deep conversation with somebody, I'll subconsciously eat and eat and eat and until like my belly hurts. And I feel like this is where this whole crowd is. They ate until they were full. And if that wasn't awesome enough, when the disciples go around to collect all this leftover food that had gone uneaten, there were 12 baskets full of leftovers. Talk about a crazy miracle. Surprisingly, though, Mark here makes no mention of the crowd's reaction to this miracle. John, however, makes mention of their response in his gospel. In John 6, 14, we read this. It says, When the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Now what are they talking about here? Jews at the time thought that God's promised Messiah would rise to political and military power in Israel. And this Messiah would would unite all of the people of Israel together. The people would support him and, and rally behind him. And ultimately this Messiah that was sent by God would lead a revolt against Rome, who had enslaved and who had oppressed Israel for quite some time now. And this, this Messiah would go on to deliver Israel from their Roman bondage, yes, but also from all the other enemies in the world for that matter, without there being any kind of real contest or challenge. And that this Messiah, when when the victory was was won, when the battle was over, he would reign as their victorious king through this messiah god would establish his kingdom once and for all through israel and they would be the most powerful um, most prominent nation in the world and nothing could stop them so we see that having witnessed this miracle uh, john tells us that, that this crowd is amazed they're like how in the world did he do that like they are blown away they're astonished at what they just saw jesus do and they begin to say this is the guy This is the one who's going to lead us and liberate us from Rome. This here is the promised Messiah through whom God is going to establish us as a people and a nation. He's here. He's here. He's finally here. And in excitement, this crowd quickly turns into an unruly, uncontrollable mob. And they bombard Jesus and attempt to seize him by force. They wanted to make him king right then and there. They were ready to fight and start this insurrection against Rome right there. But we see that it wasn't Jesus' time to receive the kingdom. While there was, a, yes, a throne that was awaiting Jesus, this wasn't the means that it was going to come by. This was not his his time. So realizing this, that this wasn't in God's will. Jesus takes control of this out-of-hand, politically charged situation. And our text says that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. He wanted his disciples out of there, probably to keep them from getting involved in this messianic movement um, you know, in, in any way. Jesus would, had told them, he's like, Listen, y'all go ahead, I'm going to catch up with you over in Bethsaida. Uh, but for now, he said that he was going to stay behind and dismiss the crowd. Jesus needed to like, calm everybody down and neutralize the situation. We see that when this, when this mob settled, Mark tells us that Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. I, I love this. Jesus didn't immediately hop on a boat and try to catch up with his disciples. He, he didn't say in his mind, you know what, I just fed 20,000 people with a boy's lunch. I can like flash run to the other side and beat them over to Bethsaida. No, he, he didn't do that. We see that Jesus hit Paul's, and he got away from everybody and everything, and he prayed. You'll, you'll regularly see Jesus do this throughout the New Testament, uh, especially as Jesus faces a difficult decision or a critical moment in his life. He prays. He continually and he intentionally looked to God the Father to give him wisdom and to give him strength as he sought to make much of and bring glory to his name through the events and the details of his life. All too often, though, I know even for me personally, prayer is an, is an afterthought. We're all so busy. We're running around doing this. We've got to go do that. All the while, we miss the opportunity to pause. We miss the opportunity To seek out God for guidance and strength amidst our trying and difficult circumstances in our lives. This is a tragedy because while we may think that all things are under control and that we can fix whatever problems may come our way, God who is all powerful and almighty just as we just sang is able to do so much more than we could ever begin to do. If we would simply call on Him in prayer. So if, if Jesus, the very Son of God, prayed to, to the Father for guidance and, and strength, how much more should we pray and, and cry out? How much more should we get down on our hands and knees and plead that God would work in us and equip us and, and empower us in the same way to live a faithful life on mission for Him as we face or are coming out of difficult times in our lives? Don't miss the opportunity to pause. Don't miss the opportunity to get away and spend meaningful time in prayer because it is crucial to your success as a follower of Christ. So Mark tells us now that it's late in the evening. Verse 48 says that it's about the fourth watch of the night. This means that it's between somewhere between like 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. here. So while most of us would be sleeping, um, while some of you would still be up uh, folding laundry or maybe even watching ESPN, Jesus is still deep in prayer um, and he's in no rush whatsoever. He's enjoying every second talking to and fellowshipping with and communing with the Father in prayer. He's soaking up this time. But verse forty-eight tells us that Jesus miraculously saw his disciples. Now let's let's hang out here for a second. There is no way that Jesus could physically see his disciples from where he was, was praying. He did not have a bird's eye view on his disciples. There wasn't one of those like big metal machines there, like conveniently located on the mountain where you put in your quarter, and like, you push your eyes up to it, and you get you know, all the, person that the grease from their forehead that just used it before you all over your face. No, it is in the middle of the night. Jesus could not naturally see anything because it's dark outside. So last month, me and Amber and our family, we moved into uh, the house that we've been renovating for about six or seven months or so um, that's out in Bahama. And one night, I was taking the trash down to the street, and I got about halfway there because it's it's a long driveway, and I just stopped, and I got my hand and waved it in front of my face just like this. And y'all, I seriously could not even see my hand. And since I'm deathly terrified of snakes, I was like you know what, I'm getting out my phone, I'm going to turn on my flashlight, like, I can't do this. It's, it's dark out in Bahama, uh, if y'all live out that way. So we see that it is, it is dark in, in this story. Jesus couldn't see far here in our text because it's dark outside. But, but secondly, the disciples have now been rowing for about eight hours, and they've probably made it about three or four miles across the sea. They're a long ways away from Jesus' At this point, nonetheless, Jesus miraculously and divinely saw them. And it says that he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. Now you need to know this about the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee sits down in a valley. And and on the west side of the sea, there's a long range of mountains. So time and time again, as these two different atmos- atmospheric pressures, uh, the low pressures... Um, down in the valley by the sea, meet the high pressures coming off the, the top of the mountains, they collide with each other. And within a moment's notice, turbulent, hurricane-like strength storms can arise. We see that the disciples have been, have been rowing in this storm, this strong wind, for hours now. They're tired. They're exhausted. Uh, after having fed 20,000 people They're probably frustrated, and I bet they're even a little bit mad. And here's why I think they were mad. Because who was the one that told them to get in the boat? Jesus was. They're probably mad at Jesus. He was the one that told them to get in the boat. He was the one that told them to go to the other other side of the sea. They weren't in this mess or in this predicament because of anything that they did. They were simply obeying Jesus and obeying his word. So we we have to ask them why would Jesus, in His omniscience, in His knowledge of all things, tell His disciples to make this journey across the sea, knowing full well that a storm would arise? Why why would Jesus send them to go to the other side if He knew that that this violent, turbulent wind would come their way and potentially put their very lives at risk? Some of some of you are um, here this morning. You might relate with the disciples here. I know that in a room this size, there are many of you that are going through some really tough things in your life. You're dealing with some heavy things that are weighing you down, things that that bring tears to your eyes when you think about it too long, things that, that keep your mind racing as you lay in bed at night. And while you try to put on a good face and act like nothing's going on, if you could be honest, you're almost at your breaking point the storm that you're going through is beating you up. At every turn, it seems to be knocking you down, and you don't know how much longer you can keep going. And and these events or the situation, whatever you're going through, has made you bitter or angry towards God. Why would He make you go through something like this? Why would, would God bring about these hardships or these difficulties about in your life? And in anger, you convince yourself that ultimately in uh, all of these things... This just proves that God doesn't love you, that he's forgotten about you, and that he doesn't care. If that's you this morning, know that just as Jesus saw his disciples as they fought through this storm, Jesus sees you. He has not forgotten about you. He is not abandoning you. He is not oblivious to what is going on. No, instead the opposite is true. He Loves you. He deeply cares for you. He knows exactly what you're going through. And and while you may not be able to see it right now, believe it or not, he is using these difficult, these trying circumstances as a setup for his glory and for your good. These, these are just a setup. What if God is using these, these hardships that you're facing to reveal himself to you and to show you something about himself that you wouldn't have seen otherwise? What if he's using the situations of your life right now to draw you close to himself, to draw you deeper into faith that you might walk closer with him? Let's let's see how Jesus does this in the lives of his disciples in our story. So having seen his disciples struggling and battling their way through the storm, Jesus does the unthinkable, the inconceivable. Verse 48 says that Jesus went out to them walking on the sea. Now, most of us have heard this story so many times that it is lost like it's all factor. But let that sink in for a minute. Jesus walks on top of the water and begins to make his way out to the, out to the disciples in the middle of the sea. Now, the moment Jesus' feet hit the water, we're confronted with two things. First is this. Jesus is almighty God. No other human being has ever walked um, on water or has had the ability or the power to walk on water. This visibly shows that, that Jesus has authority over all creation. He is sovereign. He is ruling over all things. All power is his. He is is no other than God Himself in the flesh. But there's a second thing that's also important to point out. The, the minute that Jesus' feet touch the water, the minute he begins to, to walk out to his disciples, you know what he has in mind? If, if all Jesus wants to do is is relieve the difficulty or or calm the storm. He wouldn't have to take this three to four mile walk out to his disciples where he's going to fight through these strong gusts of wind. He's going to get like his tunic all like nasty wet. Um, all he would have to do is say a prayer from the shore. All he would have to do is from the ease of the shore say a prayer and the wind would have no other option but to obey. But Jesus walks out on the water and makes this trek not because he's after the difficulty, not because he's after calming the storm, but because he's after the men in the middle of the storm. He's after their hearts. So I've got a a one-year-old little girl. Her name's Nora. She has recently started uh, walking. And y'all, for real, it's the cutest thing ever, even though like she's getting into everything now. And it is um, a daily just uh, task to chase her down and, and, you know, at all times be like, okay, Nora is in that room, now she's in that room. Uh, but since she can walk now, I figured a few weeks ago, you know, I, I might as well take advantage of this situation somehow, right? So recently, if I'll be on the other side of the room um, and I need something that's kind of close to her, I'll ask her to bring it to me without having to get up or go anywhere. So it's actually pretty cool. And eight times out of ten, since she hasn't entered that no phase yet where she's really like rebelling against uh, me and Amber, she'll she'll for the most part get whatever I ask her to and she'll bring it to me. It's it's so sweet. Recently though she's kinda caught on to this and she's turned this into a game. So I'll be I'll be sitting on the floor playing with, with her and Caleb and I'll say, Hey Nora, can can you bring me that over there? And she'll wobble her way over there and she'll get it and like she's she's smiling. Uh, from ear to ear all the way, and she'll, she'll turn around, and she'll start laughing and giggling, and all the while, like, my arms are open, and I'm, like, saying, all right, come on, come on, come on. And at that last minute, when she's about three feet away from me, she'll turn and change her direction oh so slightly, and she'll run right past me. And for a few seconds, I'll let her think she got away with it, because you can just tell she's having way too much fun with this. So so after those few few seconds transpire, I'll I'll get up and I'll chase her down and I'll grab her and hug her and tickle her, and she thinks it is the funniest thing. (laughs) Interestingly, though, in our passage, Mark tells us in verse 48 that Jesus meant to pass by them. He meant to pass by them. Some of you might be like, what now? You mean to tell me that Jesus is going to walk out to the water... um, To meet his disciples and run right past them without helping them to where his disciples won't see him at all? That's actually not what what Jesus meant to do. To better understand this this phrase, pass by, we need to go back to the Old Testament for a minute. In Exodus uh, chapter 33, verses 18 through 23, we read this Moses said to God, Please show me your glory. But he, God, said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. Something similar happens to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11. And he said, God says this, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. So as the the Lord passed by both Moses and Elijah, so now the God of the Old Testament, who is Jesus, wants to pass by his disciples. Jesus wants to show them his glory and reveal to them the very essence of who he is. Only God can walk on water. And Jesus wants his disciples to see him and to believe without question that he is God. I don't know if you've realized this before, but Jesus has passed by us as well. We have all been shown the the fullness of his glory. We have been shown his character and his goodness in a way unlike Moses, Elijah, or even the disciples in this moment experience. Jesus has, has passed by us, not in the cleft, of a mountain but on a cross one day jesus would walk not out on the water but would walk a much more difficult path he would walk the road of suffering and and the hill of calvary where even though he had lived a perfect sinless life and had obeyed god in every way possible even then he would ultimately take on our sin upon himself he would bear our shame. And in our place, he would experience the fullness of God's wrath and punishment for our sin. And, and he would be forsaken and abandoned by God, his Father, on behalf of us. And in the end, we know that he, he ultimately died in our place as our substitute. So that through faith in him, we would receive salvation. We would be given new eternal life and would be reconciled or brought back to God. We see the fullness of God's character. We see the fullness of his glory at the cross where Jesus passed us by. Unfortunately, the the disciples, um, they don't see what Jesus intends to show them in this moment. They're not looking through eyes of faith. But verses 49 and 50 say this. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. They cried out and they all saw him and were terrified. Now, y'all, can we really blame the disciples here? Um, we would have all been terrified out of our minds if we saw Jesus walking on the water. I grew up on the lake um, in Charlotte. If I was out on the boat one day and I saw this dude walking out to me on the water, uh, I promise you, I would have been freaking out. Um, there was probably, there would have been a 100% chance that I would have screamed like a like a third-grade girl. Uh it's, just, it's not something you see every day. But immediately we see that Jesus tries to, to calm their fear. With the wind still blowing, Jesus tells them this. He says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. While this storm is continuing to rage, while the waves are continuing to crash against the side of the disciples' boat and threaten their very lives, Jesus tells them, do not fear. Do not fear. Some of you guys... Here this morning, need to hear Jesus speak that same message over the difficulties and the hardships that you're currently facing in your life. Jesus is saying, don't fear. Don't be afraid. I know that you can't see the big picture. I know that you don't understand all that I'm doing. But know that I have everything under control. Nothing surprises me. Nothing catches me off guard. This is all a part of my sovereign plan. Keep your eyes and your heart set on me let me tell you this morning that regardless of how, how difficult and weighty as the circumstances are that some of you are going through, regardless of how big your giant is, Jesus is greater still. Jesus is greater still. The hardships that you face are no match for Jesus. And, and here's why. Notice how Jesus refers to himself here. He says, It is I. It is I. Now a lot of you are, are saying, okay, what's the, what's the big deal about that? That's basically like saying, oh, hey, here I am. Uh, in the Greek text, which is the original language of the Bible, Jesus literally says here, I am. Do not fear. I am. This is, this is huge. Back in the Old Testament, these are the same words that God spoke to Moses. The Israelites, God chosen God's chosen people, had been enslaved and held captive by the Egyptians for some time now. However, God appeared to Moses and spoke to him through a burning bush and... God told him that he was going to be the one through whom God delivered the Israelites. And at first, we, we all know that, that Moses was very reluctant. But he finally, finally said, he was like, okay, I'm not going to win this. Um, I'll finally do it. And in his mind, Moses begins to wonder. He's like, okay, how am I going to go back to the Israelites, my people, and tell them that their God spoke to me through a burning bush? That's not going to go over well. So in Exodus 3, we have this, this dialogue. It says, and Then Moses said to God, has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. In our text here, Jesus declares himself to be the great I am. The one who led the Israelites out of Egypt. The the one who safely led them through the waters of the Red Sea. The disciples then shouldn't worry about this turbulent storm that is threatening their lives because Jesus, God himself, was with them. Jesus was on their side. And the same is true for us. Check out this promise that God gives us in Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And a few chapters later, he says this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Wow, what a, a promise. Despite the difficulties that you face as as great and as burdensome and as weighty as they may be know this this morning god is for you and he promises to never leave you there will never be a time as a follower of christ that god is not with you he will always be with you and to prove this i I love this jesus gets in the boat and and suddenly the the wind stops everything grows silent and still, and imagine the, the peace in that moment. The disciples have been fighting for their lives and now everything is just calm. Unfortunately, though, the disciples still don't pick up what Jesus is putting down here. While Mark tells us that they were astonished and astounded by this miracle, as they were with Jesus feeding the 5,000, they fail to understand the magnitude of what has happened. Yet again, they, they look past and they miss the things that Jesus is trying to to show them. And, and for many of them, they won't realize that Jesus is God until he did the unimaginable. Yes, Jesus was able to walk out to them on the water today. But there would be a day that he would do something far greater. There would, would be a day where he would victoriously rise from the dead with the keys to eternal life in his hands. And we see that then they would believe. Then they would understand that Jesus is God. And then they would live their lives On mission for him but surprisingly Mark ends our our passage in verse 52 by saying that their hearts were hardened y'all this is this is crazy think about the countless miracles that they had seen Jesus do Jesus had healed the sick he had casted out the demons Jesus had calmed storms all of which are some crazy miracles yet yet none of these things left an impression on them they remained in ignorance and their, their hearts were becoming more and more and more callous. Believe it or not, I find so much in encouragement here because all too, all too often I feel like I'm just like the disciples. And, and you are too. So often we believe these stories and we say, God, you know, I believe that you did this and I, I know that you can do that over there because you're so great and you're almighty God. But my situation's different. My, my situation's way more complicated than theirs. You, you probably can't help me. So we, we take matters into our own hands and make things even worse for ourselves. And we fail to see what Jesus is trying to show us, just as the disciples did. But notice the compassion of Jesus here. Jesus doesn't scold the disciples, Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their ignorance. Jesus doesn't reprimand them for their unbelief, but with each and every miracle that happened, Jesus is in constant pursuit of them. Jesus is chasing after their heart and He's continually revealing Himself to them. He patiently, time and time again, gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to respond to Him in faith. Jesus never gave up on them. And, and in this same way, know that our difficulties are an invitation from God to know Him more. They're an invitation from God to know Him more. Our trials, if, if handled properly, have a way of showing us things about God that we wouldn't otherwise see. Our hardships, if responded to correctly, actually draw us closer to God. Mine and, and Amber's mom all knew this, this full well. For, for many, many years, she dealt with a, a variety of serious medical issues. To name a few, she had lung issues, uh, which for a long time they thought was some form of cancer. She had a heart attack, two broken femurs, um, spinal fusions, knee replacements, chronic pneumonia, and the list went on and on and on. Yet in the midst of these difficulties, instead of pouting, and, instead of of blaming God and getting angry at Him, she saw this as an opportunity to praise God for, for what He was doing, not necessarily through the circumstances of her life, but for what He was doing on the turf of her heart. And she leaned into God and pursued Him all the more during her hardships. And as many people uh, said at her funeral yesterday, while she was, yes, a woman of God in her early years, she was never more strong in her faith. She was never closer in her walk with Jesus than right before she passed away. For this reason, I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He wrote, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Church, don't be like the disciples who who missed what Jesus was trying to show them. Who, in this moment, squandered their opportunity to see Jesus and his glory For what it really was. If you're going through a a difficult time this morning, if you're facing what seems like insurmountable, insurmountable hardships in your life, before you cry out to God to change your circumstances, cry out to Him that He would first change your heart. Because that's what God is after in our difficulties, is our heart. Accept the invitation from God to know Him more. Use your difficulties as an opportunity to draw close to Him. Use your difficulties as an opportunity to solidify your faith. And as painful and as hurtful as things may be, lean into the rock of ages. Lean into the rock of ages, for He will undoubtedly carry you through because He's with you every step of the way. Take heart. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your compassion. Towards us, That God, even when we miss the point and we squander many opportunities to grow in our faith and in our relationship with you, God, you are still there for us. You're still pursuing us. You're still chasing after our hearts. God, I pray that you would comfort those that are hurting this morning, those that are going through hardships or trials in their life that are, are if we can be honest, breaking them. God, may you open their eyes to see today that you are with them every step of the way. There will never be a time that they were without your presence. God, be with us now as we continue to worship. I pray that you would continue to speak through this text as we leave this place today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.